Well, good morning. It's great to have you here. Thought we were going to have a snowstorm. Looked out the door this morning after it was already here. I thought, oh no, that was just flurries. Great to have you here. And uh, we got a, I think we have an exciting morning and exciting month ahead of us uh, as we move forward in all that God's called us to do. Have you ever lost something? of great value. I mean, really valuable whatever. Ever lost something like that? I mean, I'm talking about something that when you realized it was gone, complete panic hit you. I mean, it was just like, oh no, not that. And, and, it, and it's one of those things, all of a sudden you've got that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach that will not go away. You're, you're hoping it's just a bad dream and somewhere you'll wake up and whatever is lost wasn't lost. You, are, are you there? You've lost something of great value. Well, what was it? Don't shout it out, but you got it in your mind what that was? Well, mine was I lost a high school student. Yeah, I lost a high school student. I was a youth pastor out in Chicago area. And um, we, one summer, um, another youth pastor and I combined in our youth groups and we uh, planned and took a 300-mile bike trip, bike hike, uh, that began at our camp in central Illinois. And uh, we took the whole week and, and mapped it out and rode through the central area of Illinois. Now, if you're at all familiar with central Illinois, it is nothing but corn fields and bean fields with a few roads mixed in between, right? I mean, it's just that way. And so we began and headed out and... Um, we had emphasized to our students, there were probably 30 to 40 of us, I don't remember exactly, but we emphasized to our students that you um, always ride in groups of two or three, never by yourself, and always keep your head up. You said, you said what? Well, because when you're on a bike out in the middle of nowhere, and, and you can just keep your head down and ride along the road and have no idea where you're going. And anyway, so keep your head up and never ride alone. So we would ride a couple hours at a time and then take a break. And, and it might be uh, in a little town that was there right in the middle of town at, a, at, at the town square. And they have a lot of those out in Illinois or, or in, a, in a park in the town or wherever it may be. And and so this particular morning, we were uh, riding and, and scheduled. We had told everybody that we'd be meeting in the northeast corner of this town, and we had leaders interspersed and out in front, so they knew they were going with the county maps, and we're all set, ready to go. So we got to the park in town, and uh, everybody got off their bugs to get rested, get water. Those uh, ran into a couple of the stores to get something to drink or snack. Some of them did, and... And as we're hanging out, we've rested. We thought everybody's there getting ready to make sure we counted heads every time we stopped. And no David, who was in our youth group. No 
David. So we looked around the town, looked around the park, asked everybody else, has anybody seen David? Where's David? No, David. And we sent everyone else ahead because we'd already taken a little longer and wanted to stay on schedule. And uh, the mechanic and I, we had a van with extra parts and everything this guy drove. And so he and I threw my bike in the back and we started backtracking back through the fields of corn and beans in central Illinois, going up the roads where we had been. And, and out there in the farm country, there really a lot of the roads are just laid out in squares, north, south, east, and west. And, and so you go. So we went back, and we drove around for about a half an hour, and no David. Finally, we're praying and, and, and trying to figure out what to do. And, of course, I'm thinking, what in the world am I going to tell his parents? I, I don't know. So we, we decided we'd head back to town and go back to the park. Hopefully, David would be there. He would have figured out where the town was somehow, some way. We had no idea. We pull up into the park, and there's David sitting on a picnic table with his bike. The look on his face was priceless. You know, it's one of those things I wish if, if back in the day we had cell phones with cameras, I mean, it would have been there. But, I mean, it was a combination of he was ready to throw up and, 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 and relieved all at the same time, just like there he was. I wasn't the happiest guy in the world with David, but I, it was just like, how do you yell at a kid? He was scared to death, and we found him, and it's like, all right, so we sent the van, and he and I started riding. We eventually caught up, and, and there we go. We found David. David was lost, and then he was found. Open your Bibles, please, with me this morning to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, and uh, we're going to look at verses 2 to 6 um, as we take a look at our third uh, strategy as it relates to our mission. Now, if you don't have a Bible, would like to follow along underneath the chair in front of you, should be a Bible there in that Bible, page 823. Page 823, Colossians 4. So a quick review. Remember our strategy, uh, our game plan, so that we can accomplish our mission up, deep, and out. What do we mean by that? Well, in order to make more people more like Jesus, we need to grow up in our relationship with God. And that's about worship. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And then secondly, in order to make more people like Jesus, we need to grow deep in our relationships with one another. We talked about community last Sunday, the importance of the church, the body, and our relationship together, all of the one another's in scripture this is what that's all about and then today we're going to talk about the need to grow out in our relationship with the world this is about outreach this is about reaching people who don't know jesus we must grow out in our relationship with the world so keep your finger there in uh, colossians chapter 4 but luke chapter 15 i want you to look with me at luke chapter 15 and Again, hold your place. We're going to come back real quick. But in Luke chapter 15, and you may be familiar with the stories here, 
There are three parables that Jesus told that, that are pretty well known, and, and it starts out in verse 1 of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Oh, no. Well, when we understand Jesus and who he was and why he came, it makes sense. So, so there it is, verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable, the first one. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? You've heard of the lost sheep. Jesus tells this parable, and there's a point to it. But, but that sheep got lost, and, and, and he talks about the shepherd that goes looking for it. Verse 8, parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and carefully... And, and search carefully until she finds it. You could sense some, some panic there. Lights the lamp, uh, gets the broom out, and starts sweeping and, and, and looking for this lost coin. And then he gets down to, uh, to verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them and not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. And we know that we would say the lost son, or as we maybe know more so, the prodigal son. Three parables that talk about lost things, lost people, a lost sheep, lost coin, a lost son. And Jesus talks about the value of finding that son. What's the whole point? Well, we move ahead. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save those who were, what's that word, folks? Lost. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came to seek and to save those who were lost. And if you know Jesus today, if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, if, if you understand your sin, if you realize that you were lost without Jesus, separated from Him forever, and yet you believed on what Jesus did on the cross by dying in our place for our sins. And when we believe, when we put our faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross for us, we are forgiven. We are, what the Bible says, we are saved. Our sins are forgiven. We are given eternal life. We are found. No longer lost, but found. And it is important that we understand that we now who know Jesus have a responsibility to take the message of the gospel, the fact that Jesus died in our place for our sins, and proclaim that truth to those who do not know Jesus Christ, those who are without Jesus, those who are lost. And how do we do that? Well, 
Back to Colossians 4. We must grow out in our relationship with the world. And I'm just going to run through our outreach strategy at Heritage Baptist Church. Our outreach strategy. You've heard us talk about this. We simply call it P.I. squared. P.I. squared. Pray, invest, invite. And you may be a while since you've heard that. If you're new with us, you may be hearing it for the first time. But this is the strategy that we want to use for us to grow out in our relationship with the world, with people who do not know Jesus, with people who are lost, with people who need to be found. So first of all, pray. We need to pray by name for people without Jesus. That's where it begins, prayer. Praying by name. Not just praying, God, save all the lost people in the world. Or, Lord, save all the lost people in northeastern Pennsylvania. Or, Lord, save all the lost people in our neighborhood. Or my lost neighbors. It's praying by name is what we're suggesting for people without Jesus. Identify and then pray for those that you know are far from God, those who are lost, those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here in Colossians chapter 4, and verses 2, 3, and 4, Paul says this, he says, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. We've used that word devote the last three weeks in a row. Persistence. Effort in the face of pushback. When it gets difficult, we still push forward. We persist. Devote. We talked about devoted to fellowship. And here Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Be persistent in your prayer. Keep praying. We're told in other passages or verses in the Bible that we are to pray continually. Keep praying. Pray always. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And then Paul gets into a a rationale, a reason why we should be praying. Verse 3 And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Paul's writing from prison. He's in prison because he had been serving God, because he'd been proclaiming the gospel. He'd been telling people about their need to pursue Jesus. He was seeking those who were lost. And he's saying... Pray for me, pray for us, those that are with me, that God may open a door so we can proclaim the gospel. Now, why would would it be praying for an open door? For opportunities. That's That's the terminology, that's the analogy of an open door. Pray that God would give us an opportunity to proclaim the gospel to those who are lost to those who are without God, to those who are far from God. Pray that God will open the door. That's where it begins. Folks, if we're going to be burdened, if we're going to be pursuing, if we're going to be seeking lost people so that they can be saved, we've got to begin to pray. 
We've got to begin to, as Paul says, God, open the doors. God, give me opportunities. For me to bump into somebody and talk to them about Jesus. Now, there's got to be an intentionality about that. Because when you begin to pray that way, God, open the door so that I can proclaim the gospel, so that I can proclaim the mystery of Christ. Pray, verse 4, that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. When we begin to pray, God will do that. God will open the doors. God will open your eyes. God will burden your heart. God will bring before you people who don't know Jesus. And you know what it is? Many times, it's not anybody new that wasn't there before. It's just that your eyes are open to see people that have been there all along, and you see them as those who need Jesus. You see them as those who are lost. When Paul says, pray that God would open doors, it would be like, God, open my eyes so that I can see those around me who need Jesus. And when we begin to do that, all of a sudden we realize there's people everywhere. I mean, like that we rub shoulders with on a regular basis. How about your neighbors? Do you know their name? Do you know them well enough to know if they know Jesus or not? Have you been praying for them? Have you been asking God to give you an opportunity? Have you been looking for an opportunity? I mean, it's just an amazing thing when God begins to do that. I could give you all kinds of illustrations. Just I remember John and I once with our neighbors right across the street. We were trying to get to know them, and, and it was one of these where they'd drive up to the mailbox at the end of the day and, and get their mail and put the window down and get the mail, put the window back up, put the garage door up, drive into the garage, put the garage door down, and that was it. That's, how, that's what we saw. But God opened the door, and, and we were there one day. John and I are out shoveling snow. And, and, and our neighbor, the lady, she got stuck in her driveway. And, and I said, John, come on, let's go. So we grabbed our shovels. We're out there already. We ran across the street, and she didn't want us to help. She's thinking that we're going to get hurt and sue her, right? It's like, it's okay. I said, get in your car. And we, we are, do a little shoveling, and we start pushing her out. And, and we get her out, and, and she's out in the street and just takes off. Not a, not a stop to say thank you or not a wave or say, hey, right. You know, John and I are like, <laughs> you're welcome. It, but that's what happens. And we couldn't get anywhere. And all of a sudden, our nephew, Sawyer, Caleb was there. One across the street. The boys are out playing basketball, starts playing basketball. And God opened the door. And Donna came over to our house one day looking for Sawyer, and he wasn't there because he didn't live there, but, I mean, it was like all of a sudden we were best friends. God opened the door. God will do that when you begin to pray. God will help you to see the people that are there. Paul said in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, he said, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer 
to God for the Israelites is that they might be saved. Do you see that? My heart's desire and prayer to God. You see, if we're going to reach people who need Jesus, there's got to be that desire. There's got to be that love. And Scripture tells us when we understand God's love for us, how can we not love others? We talked about last week about loving one another, those who know Jesus. But what about loving those who don't know Jesus? Heart's desire, Paul says, and because of that desire, he said, in my prayer to God for the Israelites, the nation of Israel, of which Paul was one, a member of the nation of Israel, and he was, oh God, that they'd be saved. Do you have that desire for people to come to know Christ? Are you praying for them? Who are you praying for by name? Secondly, not only do we pray by name for those who need Jesus, for those who are lost, but we invest in people without Jesus. We invest. I'm not talking about money. Oh, it might be. It might be an opportunity to help your neighbor out or help somebody out with that you don't know with, fi with finances, but, but when we talk about investment, we're talking about time, we're talking about energy. Yes, it could be your resources. It may be that you see your neighbor's lawnmower broke down this spring and, and they can't get it going. You take yours over and say, let me cut your grass for you. It may be that you see your neighbor's trash cans blowing around out in the street like last Thursday. Our neck of the woods trash day is Thursday, and I came home, and my trash cans were all blown all over the place because of the wind. Well, our, our next-door neighbor, Joe, I had the opportunity to do her husband's funeral uh, four or five years ago, and Joe is a widow, lives there, and, and so sometimes I'll be able to help her and just grab her stuff and take it up to her. But, but we look for opportunities. Now, Joe and Bob knew the Lord. But folks, we look for reasons, for ways in which to invest, to do for others. Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Who are the outsiders? Those who are unbelievers, those who are not part of the church, who are not part of the family of God, who don't know Jesus, those who are lost, unbelievers. Be wise in the way you act towards them. Make the most of every opportunity. If you're getting into a political argument with your unsaved neighbor, I don't think you're looking for the way to tell them about Jesus. Be wise is what Paul says. If you want to be critical about the school system or be critical about whatever else might be going on, Medicare or medical insurance or whatever it might, you know what? Sometimes we give the wrong vibes to unsaved people all around us and we begin to stir things. We're not thinking about their need of Christ. We need to be as excited, more passionate and fired up and enthusiastic about 
people who need Jesus, about what they know or don't know about Jesus, rather than what political affiliation or what, whatever the problems that we have in our culture. They need Jesus. And we need to be wise in the way we act. Making the most. He says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know what? When we live that way, when we show grace in our lives, people notice. And they're going to start asking questions. And when our conversation is seasoned with salt and full of grace, they're going to ask questions. And Paul is saying, and, and we need to make sure that we're ready to know how to answer them as we have our talk, our answers full of grace. And as we're acting in a wise way, the New Living Translation says, live wisely among unbelievers. You see, we sometimes isolate ourselves from people all around us who know Jesus. Folks, we're not here to be isolated from the world. That's not what we're here to do. If we know Jesus, we're here to proclaim what we know, the truth of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 22 and 23, and, and that whole chapter, you just talk about that, but Paul says this, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so by all possible means I might save some. Notice Paul's terminology, so that I might save some. Now, thank you, Joe. Now, now he's not the one that saves anybody. He's just saying, I want to be there. I'm ready to walk through the open door and share the gospel. And it is the power of the gospel that when they believe, they will come to know Jesus. But Paul says it's so that I might save some. I might have the opportunity to give the gospel. You and I don't save anybody, but that's Paul's language here. Because we've got to speak the gospel. You can live your life all you want before people, and that's great, but if all you do is just live before them and never open your mouth, that's why earlier when Paul said about my conversation, that it be full of grace and seasoned with salt, we must open our mouths. But Paul says, I'm willing to do anything. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel. Then am I sharing its blessings? Yes, we're doing national, excuse me, that's a different one. <laughs> different night. Night to shine. We've been talking about that. A couple weeks ago, about 20 of us participated shared in the ministry with our brothers and sisters of Parker Hill and partnered together with, with the Tim Tebow Foundation. Opportunities to reach people in our community for Christ. We're going to do that next year, right here. You say, um, you've called it a prom event. Absolutely, that's what it is. That I might by all possible means, save some. 
What are we willing to do to reach people with, with the gospel? Paul says there, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. What would be the blessings? People responding and coming to know Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is not saying, I will become an alcoholic to reach alcoholics. I will become a drug addict to reach drug addicts. I will become a thief to reach thieves. Paul's not saying that. Now, that's way over the edge, right? But what many times we confuse here, we say, well, does this mean we sin to reach? No, not at all. Paul didn't talk about that. He's saying, I'll do whatever I can. I'm not going to violate the truth of Scripture. But sometimes we, we, we have to move beyond our preferences, the things with which we're comfortable, not that our sin, but just that we're not used to it. We may be a little uncomfortable so that we can reach people for Christ. Ed Stetzer, who wrote a book called Lost and Found, says, for many, church evangelism has been focused on bringing friends to church. It is essential that churches focus on more than invitations. The focus needs to be incarnational, going and living among people who are far from God. Incarnational. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is God in the flesh. That's incarnation. F flesh. Took on flesh. That's what Jesus did. We are the flesh of God today. Jesus went back to heaven. He lives within us. We are here. We need to live incarnationally amongst people. People need to see Jesus in us as we live before people. That's investing. Doing what we ought to do for the glory of God and the sake of lost people. Seeking the lost, intentionally pursuing relationships, authentic, real relationships, not as a project, but as a person who needs Christ. And then thirdly, we pray for people by name who don't know Jesus. We invest time, energy, resources, whatever it takes into the lives of people who are far from God. Thirdly, we invite people to become followers of Jesus. And what happens here is that it, you may invite them to go out for coffee. You might invite them for breakfast, for lunch. You might invite them over to your home. You might invite them to a church event or to a church service. We have Heritage Christmas. We participate in the, the uh, fall fun in the Abingtons every October. We're going to do Night to Shine. We're doing other things in our community that gives us the opportunities to be involved with people in our community so that we can build relationships, so that we can ultimately get to know people and invite them to our homes. Ultimately, in a relationship develops, invite them to trust Jesus. Invite them to have a conversation about God. Inviting people to become followers of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul says this, 
All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, this word reconciliation, it's a full word. But, but simply put, the, the idea is, as we read, God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, God can't look on sin. God, God is separated from sin. When he reconciled sinners to himself through Christ, what he did because Christ took upon him our sin, God could now turn and face us. He's reconciled. He's changed because of the blood of Christ. Not changed who he was, but was able to now look upon sin and because of what Jesus did on the cross. He provided forgiveness of sin. He took that sin. We look at it there. He says, verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. If you are here and never believed, God hasn't yet counted sin against you. One day, if you do not believe, that will happen, and you will pay for that sin in hell, eternally separated from God. That's why you need to be reconciled to God. Verse 20, we therefore, those of us who know Jesus, who have been reconciled, we therefore are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. God is, a, we are the representatives, the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are in the flesh. We're not God. But if, I, I don't mean that. We are his representatives, his ambassadors here, and he is making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God has turned to face you. With a sinner, you will not face God. But when you're ready to believe, you hear the gospel and respond. You turn and now face God. And because of Jesus Christ, God can look upon you, forgive your sin, and when you believe in what Jesus did on the cross, you're saved and forgiven and you become a child of God. You're reconciled. We get to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ to know God by faith in Christ. Folks, we are so burdened about that. We came across a, an emphasis called Who's Your One? And for the remaining Sundays in the month of March, we're going to challenge you to choose somebody who's far from God, who's lost, who is unsaved, who needs Jesus, who hasn't believed yet on Jesus Christ, who is an unbeliever, who doesn't know God, challenge you to begin to pray for their salvation that God will use you take a look at this video
We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction with Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one co-worker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before. But it all starts with one. I've got my one. And now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? Who's your one? When you think of someone who's far from God, someone who does not know Jesus, who's the first person that comes to mind? You got that person in your head? Is it a neighbor? Is it a coworker? Is somebody you go to school with, students? Somebody you play on a, an athletic team, a sports team in the community with? Somebody you see every day at the store, wherever that may be? Who's your one? No matter who it is, God can use you to reach them. And in fact, there are people in your life that there's no one better ready, equipped to reach them than you. Imagine if every believer at Heritage would answer this question with the name of a person who doesn't know Jesus, with the name of a person for whom they're praying, for whom they're seeking to share the gospel. How much would it change our community? How much would it change northeastern Pennsylvania? It doesn't matter how many programs or services we have. It doesn't matter how many community groups we host. It doesn't matter how many dollars we give. It doesn't matter how many sermons we preach. It doesn't matter what we do if we are not intent on doing everything we can so that lost men, women, and children will hear about and experiencing the transforming power of Jesus Christ on the cross. The cross. Who's your one? And we have designed a strategy to help you, to inspire you, to encourage you, to equip you, to challenge you with what's necessary to reach your one. So who is your one? It is the cross of Christ that has made all the difference in your life, if you know Jesus, in my life, because I do know Jesus, who will you begin to pray for, begin to invest in, and then begin to invite in whatever way necessary, maybe into a conversation about God, ultimately inviting them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's your one? For the next four Sundays in the month of March, as we anticipate Easter just around the corner, we are going to be talking about challenging you to identify and begin to pray for one who needs Jesus. We will have these um, Who's Your One 
um, Bible reading schedules for the next month. They're right on here. And on the end of this is a, a little tear-off card that uh, uh, asks the question, who's your one? And on that card, we're going to ask you to pray and write a name. I've written Tom. One of these weeks, I'm going to tell you the story about Tom. And then we're going to ask you as you pray and as God lays that individual on your heart and you're going to pray to, that they would be saved, that God would give you an opportunity to chat with them, get to know them, build a relationship with them. And as you're ready to do that, we're going to ask you then to put their name here on the cross, to take them to the cross and trust that as long as it takes, we're going to pray that God brings them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Who's your one? Begin praying about that. And next Sunday, we're going to begin to give you the opportunity to put your one right here on the cross, to bring them before God and ask him to use you to reach them, to save them and bring them to Christ. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the cross. And Lord, as we now celebrate the work of Jesus on the cross, I pray that you would not let us just go through the motions of the Lord's Supper, communion. But God, you will remind us of what Jesus did for us, for me. When he gave his life, died in my place for my sins. God, I pray that we would not lose sight of the cross from one month to the next only to think about it again when we pass the bread and the cup. I pray that it would be a reality that stirs our minds and rings in our ears, shakes our hearts. Father, I pray that we would grateful that our sins have been washed away because of the blood of Christ. That because we've experienced the love of God in the person of Jesus that we would be ready to proclaim the gospel to one. God, I pray for Tom. Save him. Allow me to be part of that process. As I get to know him, 
Father, thank you for your love for us, for the work of Christ on the cross. And I pray, God, that as we remember today what Jesus did for us, that it would remind us, too, that Jesus is coming back again. Help us to live in a way that says we're ready. And help us to be proclaiming, using the time, making the most of every opportunity, whatever it takes, that some might be saved. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.